Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today my guest is Matt Harvey. Matt is the co-founder of Enduro Bearings, a company dedicated to producing premium, high-quality bearings for the bicycle industry. He's been working in bike shops starting as a teenager and later for industry brands like Gary Fisher and Bianchi. Thanks for joining me, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeff. Appreciate it. So what was sort of your aha moment for forming Enduro Bearings? Yeah, that's a good question. I guess because I was in the bicycle industry and of course you're encountering bearings all the time. It wasn't mm -hmm. like I was thinking about them that much, but my <laughs> the guy that I grew up with and worked in bike shops for a long time started making them in his machine shop, but not for bicycles, for forklifts hmm. in uh, the uh, early 19. 90s and uh i was helping him with drawings for those so hmm. okay um so i went from uh you know drawing some frames and things like that at bianchi to drawing ball bearings which are all circles but they're, <laughs> they're complicated circles and uh yeah mostly we were copying some designs that were made before but he was he was making these rollers for forklifts that you just turn on the lathe. And hmm. so that's how it kind of started. And at the same time, uh, I'd been working at Fisher for a while on uh, one of the first sus full suspension bikes in there. <clears throat> we were using bushings at the time in the, mm -hmm. in the bike, but bearings we found react faster. They, they move faster with hmm. high frequency bumps and so forth. So we were trying to put bearings in those bikes. And mm -hmm. so those two things kind of came together at once. And that's how I got into thinking more about bearings and then looking at their design. Yeah. Interesting. Well, yeah, I read on your website that Enduro Bearings was founded in like 96. So like mm -hmm. mid to late nineties. Has the company always been called Enduro? Like, I don't feel like that term was really used in mountain biking until after that, at least, you know, it's funny because, uh, well, I'm, you know, there was enduro motorcycles and that's right. We enduro kind of indicates long lasting. And so mm. my business partner actually came up with the name enduro at the time, but it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't a moniker for a type of bike riding huh. at the time. It was, yeah, it was just, uh, something we thought of, hmm. uh, while we were sitting down having a, a beer, as I recall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, that's interesting that it wasn't necessarily intentional, but yeah, it worked out. And obviously that's like mm -hmm. in mountain biking, that's seen as like a more aggressive form of riding where obviously, yeah, you're going to want something that's 
dependable and high performance and yeah it's a great name yeah i mean to that point it started uh after that there was a all of a sudden the sector of enduro and then a lot of products became called enduro so we had to mm-hmm. you know um but yeah we it was not a uh, a uh common term in in bicycles at all at the time yeah interesting so tell us what makes bike bearings different from bearings that are used for other purposes well so most of the bearings that are used in bicycles are sizes that have existed for years and years but they're usually for high speed applications Mm. and low load small loads okay for instance the most common size in a bicycle is called a 6902 okay. about a half inch internal diameter a little more than an inch outer diameter so that bearing in industry is used all over the place but it's usually spinning at 10,000 rpm it's in a motor oh, in a wow. lot of motors or mm-hmm. and printers for uh large printers and all, all sorts of sewing machine hmm. duties all sorts of duties that where it's spinning 10, 20,000 RPM at, with very low loads. Mm-hmm. So in the bicycle industry, the same bearing spins at maybe 200 RPM uh, mm-hmm. you know, at the most, usually in a hub or something. But the loads are much higher given the size of the bearing. Okay. So it's same size, but very different application. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. So what are, what are the challenges involved in in designing a, a high performance bearing, especially for bikes if if we are doing higher loads but but lower speeds? So that designation, let's stick with that for a second, 6902, that can have three different ball sizes inside of it even though it's mm-hmm. 12 by 28 millimeters, it can be seen with different size balls and different quantity of balls inside. Mm. And that affects the load rating and uh, the capacity, and then how fast you want to turn it. So for high-speed application, people will often use smaller balls with shallower grooves okay. because it can make, it'll make less noise and it'll still hold the load. Whereas in a bicycle, what we do is we make it with as large of balls as possible and as deep of grooves for the races mm. that support mm-hmm. the ball because the ball's rolling around in this ball cup that the ball rolls in Mm -hmm. on the inner and outer diameter and the grooves of that cup or the height of them could be shallow or deep Mm -hmm. when it's going really fast they can be shallow because you have less noise you have less surface area contact and so and less heat Mm -hmm. because as a bearing goes really fast you have heat considerations too but for a bicycle it never gets hot it's just rolling at a lower rpm Mm -hmm. so you need more support for the ball more surface area contact to resist the loads and let's say a suspension bike or in a hub where hubs get pulled side to side you have a disc brake pulling on one side Mm -hmm. you have the uh the torque of the chain on the other side Mm. yeah interesting and pivot bearings in particular seem a lot different because they don't i mean they don't come close to even one full rotation, right? They're just kind of like rocking back and forth. Right. So is that, does that mean that you would design that differently in terms of like how it, how it works and what it needs to be optimized for? Yeah. And so back to the nineties, when we started, that was one of the first designs I did that I saw in forklift bearings and forklift bearings 
they're larger sizes, of course, but similar application. They're these rollers mm-hmm. that have to support all the weight of the mast, and they go up and down. And they're not rotating very much, but they support huge loads. So they, they're they full of balls. Usually these bearings we're talking about, they have like spacers in between the balls, mm-hmm. a retainer that holds the balls. And so we came up with max-type balls where you uh, you have to design it so that you can fill it full of balls. but there's no space in between the balls essentially. Mm. And it supports um, load by about 50% better. Mm. And like you said, in pivot bearings, you're not rotating even 360 degrees. You're actually only rotating seven to 20 degrees on a pivot bearing. Yeah, (laughs) very little. So it's just going back and forth, but you want maximum load carrying capacity Mm -hmm. and in that case you just want as many balls as possible and large ones at that Hmm. yeah so with a lot of bike stuff i know the design is often dictated by weight considerations is that something you think about with with bike bearings i mean obviously it's a small part yeah but I, i made a list of like all the parts on a bike that have bearings and it adds up there's like a lot of, oh, yeah. of different bearings so so yeah is weight something you think about oh yeah because pivot bearings like you just said uh, you know oftentimes you have eight pivot bearings some bikes have up to 16 pivot bearings so that wow adds up you know uh uh, and some of them, you know, very, the, the most, uh, simple designs have two, yeah. two big pit, but you, if, if you're supporting all the weight on just two bearings, obviously those have to be a little larger. So mm-hmm. yeah, weight is always a consideration. And I, you know, usually the design is coming from the frame builders. So hmm. if they're asking me about if we're working together, then, um, you know, we're talking about weight, we're talking about load capacity, mm-hmm. axial load capacity. Is this thing in a in a plate in a rocker where it's getting any twisting action, or is it just mm-hmm. pure radial load? So depending on where it is in the rocker linkage too can dictate what kind of designer you're gonna go for for that bearing. Yeah. Interesting. So which parts on a mountain bike are going to benefit the most from high quality bearings? I feel like, like something that's going to be spinning a lot maybe is, but, but is it, is it in fact something more like a, like a suspension pivot that's going to benefit more? Well, suspension pivots are really important if you don't want to have to knock your bike apart all the time (laughs) and replace them all because it's not fun to replace 16 bearings usually on a bike. But, um, you know, when people ask me, like, what are the most essential places for bearings on a bike? I usually start with the bottom bracket, which is mm-hmm. gets the most punishment. It's low. Yeah. It gets all the mud, the dirt, uh, the salt water, whatever right. is on the road is getting thrown directly at it. Mm-hmm. And it's where your power starts. There's a lot of, you know, it's where the transmission starts from your legs into the drivetrain. And, mm-hmm. and the, so the, um, loads are not just straight on radial loads they're all over the place because we pedal out of the saddle and so forth Mm -hmm. and then the bearings directly behind the bottom bracket on a pivot bike are get Mm -hmm. a lot of that same action so a low pivot behind the bottom bracket or around the bottom bracket gets similar punishment so those Mm. those two spots low on the bike are usually the ones where you would want to spend the most time uh 
with the best design, sealing them, mm -hmm. all the considerations to make them last a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. It sounds like in terms of durability, that's, those are the spots to think about. What about like in terms of just the action, I guess, for, for lack of a better term of the bearing, like low friction, mm -hmm. like something that's going to be very smooth. And, and mm -hmm. I mean, is that, is that a consideration? Like, can you measure that and say like, this bearing is more efficient than another one? And, and if so, like where, where do we want those really efficient ones? Yeah, you can. And we actually do measure, you know, wattage drag of, of bearings and so forth. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, bearings are, all of the bearings are extremely efficient, new out of the box. Hmm. When you put okay. them in, a bearing is a really efficient little machine. Um, they only drag, uh, the drag on most bearings is around a quarter watt when you, hmm. when you put it okay. out of the box. But if you're, um, it start get, starts getting filled with dirt or uh, wears out, starts mm -hmm. galling or pitting, or the metal starts to deteriorate. Usually corrosion starts all that 90% mm. of the time. Uh, then the wattage pull or, or soak of the bearing goes up. It becomes mm -hmm. less efficient. And you, you hear it. It's like the creaking, the noise, you know, it gets loose. Yeah. So the efficiency goes way down. And uh, other things are affected, like when it gets loose, you know, the, your suspension uh, linkage is going side to side. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions that's wonder made possible learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder side more wagging mm -hmm. so you're losing efficiencies there too so right the, the big considerations are keeping it clean mm -hmm. so good seals good grease inside to begin with mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of it as much as possible and uh good steel Hmm. really just good materials if you start out with lousy steel you're going to have a lousy hmm. uh, outcome yeah of uh performance it's not going to yeah. last very long okay interesting so yeah it's like uh ingredients the the first part is 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 good steel balls which uh we we uh source ours from japan all the balls and hmm. uh the steel coming from good foundries uh that's where we have a little advantage, I'd say, to a lot of bike makers because we're able, because of our industrial side of our business, we're able to buy a lot of steel mm -hmm. uh, because the forklift bearings are much larger. We buy a lot of steel, so we're able to buy from uh, bigger foundries because mm. it's all by weight. <laughs> right. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, 
once bearings start wearing out, you're going to, a lot of times you're going to hear something. You're going to hear creaking mm-hmm. or some kind of friction noise. Like, is that, is that the best way to know that you, your bearings need maintenance or can, are there like ways to tell visually or what's, what's sort of the best way to know when you need to do something? Yeah. Actually, it's usually like bearings don't creak. Actually, the bearings usually creak in some kind of, you know, they start creaking inside of a cup or a, mm-hmm. some aluminum okay. piece is fretting against it. So it could be that if if the bearing gets loose, because if it gets loose, then the fit up parts that are with it mm-hmm. start to chatter and move against the steel. Okay. So when you have aluminum on steel, that's where you'll get a creak. But usually, bearings you'll start to hear a crunch or a pop Mm. or um, it's kind of usually a more of a startling noise than a creak. Okay. Yeah. And, um, but for instance on, uh, or things get loose Mm -hmm. and you can't tighten it anymore. Or you, if it has a preload adjustment, like a bottom bracket, you tighten it and then it gets loose on the next ride. Mm -hmm. Probably the bearing is, the balls are uh, w- have worn into the race, okay, and you can't really adjust the load. It, it's just uh, wearing out in there. Yeah, yeah. Are there like preventative things or things you can do to catch it before it gets to that point, or or is it usually? I mean, is that is that okay? Is that normal to just kind of run it until it starts giving you problems? Well, when the metal starts wearing out fast like that, it's usually because it's steel on steel contact Mm. or ceramic on steel contact and there's no more grease. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you can prevent that by, um, if you ride in the rain for several hours and everything's gotten washed out, you might want to look at, um, opening up some things and putting some grease back in there, taking the seals off and Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily have to take the bearings completely out and, wash them but just putting getting grease back inside will coat the ball against the uh, race mm-hmm. and uh that that prevents that long time where where that i'm it was just describing yeah yeah so yeah if, you know usually people ask me like how often should i grease a bike well it depends on how much you ride of course and mm-hmm. and how much in the uh, you ride in the rain but for someone who rides quite a bit, I'd say once a year on, and pivots on a mountain bike, probably get some grease in there once a year if you ride a lot. Mm. And uh, if you don't ride a lot, maybe once every two years. Okay. You know, yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, so beyond like adding grease to your bearings, are bearings somewhat serviceable? Like for a whole mechanic, like would you ever get down into the weeds of like replacing balls or, or like you said, I think you suggested like mm-hmm. some people maybe would take them out and clean them and, and put them back in. Like, is that, mm-hmm. is that worthwhile for the home mechanic or is that like a better bike shop job or is it better to just buy a whole new bearing when you get to that point? Um, I mean, people do it all the time. I do it cause I'm interested and I get in there and, uh, it takes some time. Sometimes the, uh, it's cheaper just to take all the bearing, like on a suspension bike, Mm -hmm. you know, you knock them all out and put in a whole new set, but, uh, uh, you can definitely service bearings like that. You take them out, Mm -hmm. you, you have to take the seals off and clean them out in a bath, you know, maybe like a, a hydrosonic cleaner or something, you know, Mm -hmm. just to, which a lot of people don't have. No, exactly. And, but, you know, surprisingly, a lot of people do because they, 
they're they're cleaning their chains and waxing chains and doing things like that these days. Mm-hmm. So uh, they may have that cleaner bath and uh, uh, you clean them out and then you put them all back together. But it's quite a bit of work. You know, it's going to be mm-hmm. compared to uh, it. It might double the length of let's say you're doing the whole uh, all the pivots on a suspension bike. I don't know. Let's say it takes you an hour and a half to do the whole thing or an hour. It might double the time to do it. Yeah. But if you have the time, it's definitely, and the bearings are still all right. Yeah. It's, it's fine to do that, Hmm. um, to clean them all out and re-grease them and put them back in. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm thinking too, though, a lot of, a few bike brands have these like lifetime pivot bearings on their frames. And so Mm -hmm. I guess for some consumers that kind of makes it sound like, this is like a disposable thing, right? Like you run it until you just mm-hmm. replace them and they're free or they're cheap or whatever. Yeah. But, but yeah, you can also, obviously they're serviceable and and that's something that people should consider, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I'm towards the side of being less wasteful. You know, a lot of people tell me, I, <clears throat> I just buy le- le- less expensive bottom brackets because I just throw it away and put a new one in. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's nice to be able to take something apart. I think, you know, re-grease it, clean it out, re-grease it and put it back in there and Mm -hmm. and let it run for another six months or a year rather than just throw it in the landfill. Yeah, for sure. So you mentioned, uh, that, that greasing bearings regularly is important. What, what's like, Mm -hmm. what kind of grease should people use for bearings? Like, are there different weights and types that you're going to use depending where the bearing is or the size or like, how do you know what the right type of grease is to use? That's, that's a good question. I, uh, there's a lot of really good greases out there. We use some in uh, major industrial brand greases that, like mobile uh, in a lot of our uh, extra high pressure grease. So there's a lot of really good bike greases out there too. I like thicker, sticky greases, mm-hmm. especially for pivot bearings. We use this stuff called Almagard that uh, we also sell that you can get for max type bearings okay. because it's what they call an extra high pressure grease. Mm. And what does that mean? It means that it, it's really difficult once it's on the on the bearing to get pushed aside. Hmm. So greases can actually, when when the ball is on the race, it can push the grease aside, and then you have metal on metal contact. Okay. So extra high pressure means that even though there's a super high pressure between the ball and the race, mm-hmm. the uh, there's still a grease barrier between those the two metal parts. Hmm. So um, a thick, sticky grease in pivots because it's not spinning as we were talking about earlier, it's just Mm -hmm. rocking back and forth seven degrees. So in that application, you want very thick and sticky grease. That's not going to wash out. And that's going to maintain that barrier between the ball and the, and the race for hubs. People like them to spin better. So you can go with a little bit lighter, uh, faster spinning grease. Uh, okay. Again, it's not going to really slow you down if you put that thick stuff in there, but People like their wheels to spin really well. I do too. So, yeah. you know, you can go with a uh, quote unquote faster grease. I still prefer greases that are good against water washout, waterproof synthetic greases that, um, mm-hmm. and as I said, there's a lot of good brands out there on the market. We use three distinctive greases in our bearings. So one for max bearings and headset bearings mm-hmm. where you have high 
impact loads, loads between the ball and the race. Uh-huh. It's that Almagard grease that's very extra high, pre- super extra high pressure, I think they call it. <laughs> and then we use uh, mobile extra high pressure in hubs because okay. it spins well and it, it hangs in there and it's also good for impact. And then we have we use Kluber at the top end, Kluber Isoflex, which is a very fast grease. It's also very expensive mm-hmm. for um, ceramic and stainless steel bearings. We use that because people at that level, they're looking at performance and they want less uh, stiction of their grease. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And you mentioned the, the grease for hubs. Um, and I know for hubs in particular, uh, that can really change like, like some hubs are real buzzy and, and noisy. And if you put, what is it, you put a certain kind of grease or like extra grease and it'll quiet it down? Well, there's, yeah, like a lot of the hub makers have a special grease just for the Paul mechanism, Okay, which, um, I mean, that grease will work well anywhere, but mm-hmm. I believe that's not an area I studied as much, but I, I've used it myself. And what I think is happening, it does quiet your Paul mechanism down. Mm-hmm. I think it's also a uh, high pressure grease because it's basically a, um, right. a barrier between the two metal parts. So you don't get that sonic, yeah, as high a sonic noise out of the, out of the hub. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. At those points. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, just now the ceramic ball bearings. What's what's the advantage of uh, using ceramic for your bearing balls? Well, so with ceramic balls, there is uh, it's a very small number, but there is less friction okay. between the ball and race uh, because the ball is seven times harder than a steel ball. A oh, steel wow. ball can f- flex slightly. Um, you don't really see it or wouldn't notice it, but on a micro level, the ball flexes slightly and it works really well. Steel on steel, uh, uh, they, they flex together, if you will, the ball and the race. Uh, Mm -hmm. but you know, at all, any movement like that cuts down slightly on efficiency as a ceramic ball is extremely hard and will just roll, Mm. you know, it's not going to flex at all. It's, it's almost like a rock. You can think of it that way so um but the the challenge with a ceramic ball on a steel race is that it, it can wear out the steel race hmm. much quicker especially if there's no grease once the grease is gone on usually on bearing steel mm-hmm. it's just a matter of short time before it'll be worn out we're we have a, a steel that we use called the xd15 where this doesn't happen the steel was actually hmm. engineered to use ceramic balls, it was developed for Airbus in the for control bearings in the wings, hmm. and uh, you can actually run an XD15 ceramic bearing with, without grease. You don't need any. Oh wow! But it's it's the makeup of the steel. It's uh, hardened with nitrogen instead of carbon, and uh, on a micro level, because of this attribute, it won't it won't wear out against a ceramic ball. It'll, mm. it'll actually polish it as it goes around. <laughs> wow. So it's a little, it's a little different animal. Of course it's, it's, uh, it is more expensive, but, um, if you like something, if you like ceramic bearings and you want that edge of, uh, you, you can run these things with no maintenance, but you know, it costs more. 
So there's yeah. always trade-offs and compromises with all these things. But back to your question on on uh, ceramic hybrids with chromium steel, which chromium steel is ninety something percent of of the bearings that we see that in the in the market. Okay, uh, it's they call it bearing steel. Sometimes it's a high chromium steel. When you have ceramic balls with those, you have to keep up with greasing and maintenance in order to have them last a long time. Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. Cause yeah, I think a lot of people just think, Oh, I'll spend more on this. You know, it's better. And so I don't, I don't have to think about it as much, but yeah, it sounds like you actually do need to really keep on top of that. If you do go with ceramic bearings. Yeah. It's uh it's more important than steel, hmm. all steel bearings yeah. to keep the grease in there and to keep them clean. Right. Frankly. Yeah. So, uh, where are most bearings produced? You said that, uh, that the balls, a lot of the balls that you use come from Japan. Mm -hmm. Are you sourcing like all the parts and, and machining parts in different places and then assembling them or, or is this kind of all done in one location? No, no, it's several locations cause we make a lot of different bearings and part numbers also for the industrial side. Mm -hmm. So, uh, we, uh, we do make some in the U.S. in California. We make the races here. The balls are all made at very large factories. That all they make are balls. Huh. Everybody buys balls from major factories. Uh, we buy them from Toshiba, Panasonic. They for steel balls are forged. They they come out as they start out as wire and they come out of machines and they're being forged at a real high. Hmm high rate of speed and then they're ground uh into the uh uh into their tolerance uh mm -hmm. round tolerance okay and ceramic balls are are uh, you know formed uh with heat and pressure and then ground so they're a little different they're made in a different way but the races are all turned and then ground and sometimes they start out as as solid uh rod mm -hmm. which with our xd15 we can't get that in forgings or tubing so it starts out as rod and you have to hmm. machine it and that's another reason for its expense and we do that in california or singapore and then uh, stainless steel is usually tubing and we also process that in singapore and assembly and so forth there and then uh bearing steel when you can get up to uh good quantities on sizes. We forge the parts, which hmm. forging is always the best way to make things. Okay. So we can't forge every size, but popular sizes we can. Hmm. And so uh, seals come from Taiwan. Grease comes from the U.S. <laughs> Most of our assembly is, is in Asia, either in Singapore. And then for max bearings, there's a lot of... Uh, uh, hand labor with assembling max bearings they can't be uh, assembled by uh, by uh, machine so mm -hmm. those are those are assembled in shanghai wow wow so it, it's a, it's a lot of different places and a lot of <laughs> yeah. different things coming together yeah that's interesting because it is such a small and seemingly simple part but yeah it's got a lot of pieces and a lot of hands are involved in in putting those together um, especially when it's a high quality product like that. So Enduro bearings, you all make bearings, um, but also a lot of products that incorporate bearings um, like bottom bracket. 
um, shells and, and pieces. So I want to ask you about press fit bottom brackets. Why do you think press fit bottom brackets have such a bad reputation among mountain bikers right now? <laughs> well, all that noise, right? We've all <laughs> experienced a press fit bottom bracket probably creaking if you've ridden enough. Yeah, I, I know I have. So, you know, press fit came about at the factories some years ago to get around because workers were cross-threading bottom brackets into oh. the shells and wrecking these very expensive frames because mm -hmm. they're going fast at the factory level and yeah. using pneumatic uh, tools and so forth. So press fit came about to uh, solve the assembly <laughs> problem in wow. factories. That's, but It wouldn't have been easier to just tell people how to, how to install them, <laughs> which way to turn the, the shell. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And well, I think, they thought, and you know, I've I've heard all the stories, but I, I think they thought that since you press fit headset bearings in, why why not do it with bottom bracket? But but uh, there's a lot of different forces on a bottom bracket. Your the human motion is is pretty herky jerky, not very mm -hmm. smooth into the putting the power into your bottom bracket, and that has an effect. And we hear the uh, the, the results, mm -hmm. the noises, and so forth. So, uh, you know, a lot of makers are going back to uh, threaded bottom brackets again, yeah. T47 and BSA is popular again. At that time, we made a, a version of a press fit bottom bracket that threads together. And now it's right. pretty popular with a lot of people torque tight and uh, where you go back to mechanically threading the thing together. So it, mm -hmm. it makes less noise. But I think, uh, yeah, press fit in a bottom bracket, I'm. I'm not a fan myself because over time, as bearings wear a little bit and the parts wear, it's going to make noise. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of when you're going to have to address it right. if you ride a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine, too, for a lot of home mechanics, that's a, I mean, that requires another tool. I mean, unless you have a tool for mm -hmm. pressing things into your frame like that, yeah, a lot of us, we'd rather just, rather just screw something together. Well, and then not only do we have press fit, but we have, you know, more than a dozen, maybe two dozen permutations of press fit. Mm. Maybe there's a dozen, but then when you add up Dub and Shimano and all the different spindles, you end up with a lot of bottom bracket yeah. types. Right. I think we have over 50 in stock, something like that. Oh my goodness. Well, yeah. Do you see that becoming simpler over time? Like it, it is, you know, we've seen it with like like derailleur hangers is something that there had been mm -hmm. just countless versions of it. And we see SRAM saying, yep. let's try to standardize this. Like, do you think that'll ever happen with bottom bracket sizes? Cause it is really confusing. Well, I think uh, it seems like people are coming back around to BSA threaded shells again, okay. and especially in mountain bike in the mountain bike world. And then T47 is is gaining more and more uh, popularity both where you're threading the cups into the shell. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think people have gone away from, you know, some of the quote unquote standards that are around, but you know, a lot of them like BB 8692, it's a, it's a problematic um, bottom bracket shell, frankly, mm. to address all the cranks that are in there. But, you know, it's, it's hanging on a lot of the uh, big makers use them and, and, uh, we have a threaded couple of threaded solutions for those, but you can't do it on every 
solution. Oh, yeah. Uh, some of them you just have to use a press fit setup. But I think to answer your question, yeah, I think it's coming back around. I don't think there's going to be any one solution, but there may be like, let's say, three or four that are acceptable mm-hmm. uh, solutions instead of 24, Yeah, <laughs> like there were a couple of years ago. Yeah, that that will be nice for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so aside from bottom brackets, to me, it seems like the bearings and pedals tend to give riders a lot of problems over time. Is that mm-hmm. due to their placement as well, where they're like getting more into the mud and, and rain and stuff or or is there something else going on there in terms of like the forces or the speeds that that they're rotating at well there's yeah there's a couple things one you're right they're right down in the dirt again and the other thing is is uh everybody wants their the ball of their foot as close to the pedal spindle or the zero axis if you will as possible Hmm. so you end up with the let's say a, a 10 usually a six, eight or 10 millimeter diameter spindle, Mm -hmm. 10 is big. Um, And then you have to put a bearing on that. And a lot of times you're using pedal makers will use a bushing Mm -hmm. instead of a pedal because it's lower profile or a needle bearing, which is very popular in pedals. Usually there's a ball bearing out towards the crank arm and a needle bearing out towards the end of the spindle. Okay. So it's kind of buried in your pedal. You may never see it because the only time it's hard to drag it out of there, it's deep inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's challenged because you're asking a lot of the bearings that are on the pedal spindle. They're really small. Mm-hmm. They may only have a 50 pound capacity. So you may have to use four of them on the spindle in some pedal designs mm. and you know, to support the load of the pedal and, and try and keep Mm -hmm. the ball of your foot as close to the zero axis as possible, because they've proven that as your foot is closer to the the center of the pedal spindle, Mm -hmm. you're more efficient in your biomechanics. So the goal is to, to do that, but you're going up against uh, smaller and smaller bearings. Mm. So you can put the bearing outside uh, close to the crank spindle, mm-hmm. but then it's getting cantilevered. There's a lot of uh, unbalanced loads on the bearings out there, mm-hmm. and so that wears it out too. So you're you're right. It's uh, pedal pedals are a big challenge for <laughs> getting a bearing system that is smooth and spins well, yeah. and and takes the load, yeah, I th- and and gets your foot down for sure. And in mountain biking too, you know, especially if we look at flat pedals. Um, a lot of those, you know, they're trying to make the pedal itself thinner and thinner. And so that speaks to mm-hmm. sort of what you're saying. You can't fit bearing really at some point you can't, other than like needle bearings, uh, like mm-hmm. can't fit that into the spindle. And then also I am curious about mountain bikers on flat pedals because a lot of them prefer to have like kind of the center of their foot or like their arch over the spindle. Is that, does that make it easier or harder? Um, in terms of like balancing those loads or does it matter? Cause it's still the majority of your weight is going to be there. It's just a different part of your foot. Yeah. That doesn't change it too much because if the, the pedal cage or yeah, the as pedal assembly over the axle, it, it'll, the load will get dispersed evenly down to the pedal spindle, no matter mm-hmm. where the ball of your foot is, it's still weight 
coming down straight on that thing. If, if the, you know, it depends on the placement of the bearings. If the bearings are completely inboard and it's an imbalanced load, that Mm -hmm. will become a problem. If they're spaced out and they go all the way out to the end of your foot, you know, there's something out there to like carry weight out at the end. Mm -hmm. It's probably a a balanced load. It's going to work better. The other part of what you were saying too is, you know, you have a lot of seals. You'll see a lot of those flat pedals don't spin very well, or sometimes they don't, they're, they're in the wrong position when you go to put your foot back on them. Mm-hmm. And it's because there's a lot of seals on there to keep the dirt out and the seals. It's not the bearing that's holding the pedal back. It'll be the seals mm. that are giving you that, uh, you know, stiction. So it doesn't level out. The pedal doesn't level out e- easily. Right. Right. So tell us what's next for enduro bearings. Is there potential for innovation and improvement in bicycle bearings, or are we kind of kind of at the edge of of what they're capable of doing? No, we've we had uh, so we have a new design of um, what we call Max Hit, and to your pointer, what we were discussing earlier of creaking bottom brackets. We uh, mm-hmm. usually on a bottom bracket you have an aluminum cup with a bearing that's pressed into it, or that's how everybody's is made. There's probably 50 or more of those out there like that. So we are making the outer race is the bearing cup. It's a, it's basically a threaded bearing. Okay. Uh, and we're able to do that because we're a bearing company. So what does that do? Well, it eliminates the aluminum cup to steel bearing interface. Mm. So the possibility of creaking is gone there. And then we're able to use bigger balls in the uh, bottom bracket itself. Hmm. So they roll better. They last longer. They roll with less friction. Um, if everything's not straight, it accounts for misalignment better. So I'm, we're very excited about that. The max hit, they're basically threaded bearings. And the next one that we're coming out with is uh, T47, which we've been working on for, well, frankly, all this year. So the, the, the hard part about it is getting all the uh, tooling and fixturing to make it at the factory mm-hmm. just right. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of work. There's been a lot of work to make these, but it's been really fun and cool for me because when we've finished them, they work better than we thought they were going to. Mm. They're really uh, efficient. In our t- we, we test them on our machines course we're doing field testing too we got a lot of them out there but the t47 max hits i'm i'm pretty excited about those Hmm. you know bearings are funny because you don't see them you don't think about you only think about them when you have a problem right usually right it's like uh but you're suspended on them they're really important everything you do on a bike there's a bearing between you and the and the road whether you're suspended on headset bearings bottom bracket bearings the you know the whole thing is it's like your tires, you're on tires, you're on bearings too. Yeah. So they are um, pretty important, but I, I'm excited about this one. I think it's yeah kind of a fun thing. And then, you know, as you said, all the different standards we have to address each. Uh, we, we're just doing BSA and T47 so far, and we have one heads, no, two headsets out now okay. with the same design, the Maxit design. Okay, cool. Well, are there opportunities too in bikes uh, similar to, to how you got your start where bikes are using a bushing where maybe we could use bearings and, and it would be more effective or, or are bearings pretty much everywhere they're going to be on a bike? You know, most people still use bushings with 
you know, there's a lot of bushings in pedals mm-hmm. because of the clearance problems. Yeah. And uh, I have some ideas there that could work out better, I think, with bearings. Um, but for the most part, there's bearings everywhere in bikes, and mm-hmm. there's not very many makers. There's a few suspension makers that use uh, bushings in different places mm-hmm. instead of ball bearings. My experience tells me and and shows me that bearings move faster. Mm-hmm. Um, they always improve the suspension point. For instance, uh, you know, shock mounts always have bushings on them, and uh, now they've some of them have moved to. Uh, 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 bearings mm-hmm. for the shock mounts. It's a big difference when you set up your uh, w- set up your shock when you move from a bushing mm. to a bearing. It moves faster, and uh, the uh, the performance of especially uh, high frequency bumps and so forth is immediately improved. Mm. And we ha- we made twenty years ago needle bearing uh, replacements for shock mounts, mm-hmm. and uh, we didn't even talk about it, but we we didn't promote it or anything or market it. And we sold so many and the people who are the feedback from the people who are racing bikes and uh, riding them said, man, it's just night and day with needle bearings and the shock mounts compared to bushings. Yeah. Interesting. So even at that point, um, which is, you know, usually have a rocker assembly and then the shock is Mm -hmm. far away in the, in the system, you wouldn't think it would have that much of a performance advantage, but it does. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's super interesting. I feel like a lot of people listening are they're going to go check their bike right now and see what they've got on their shock mounts. <laughs> <laughs> Be like, hmm, maybe I, maybe I should upgrade this. So that's great. Well, Matt, uh, yeah, thanks so much for talking to us about uh, your company and also how bearings work. I learned a ton, and uh, hopefully our listeners have as well. So thank you. Thanks a lot, Jeff. It's a pleasure. Well, we'll have a link to the Enduro Bearings website uh, in the show notes if you want to get more information. That's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Mm-hmm.